Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you once again on this Pentecost Sunday where we uh, celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, kind of the birthday of the church. And uh, as we are doing that, we are thinking ahead towards when we get to gather together again in this sanctuary. And so uh, continue to be on the lookout for further instructions, uh, but we're, we're shooting for that June 14th date. And uh, as I said, more instructions will be coming out uh, for that, so be on the lookout, but we're excited to gather again uh, together here in this sanctuary. Uh, but for this morning, we're going we're gonna to jump in and we're going we're gonna to sing together, we're going to hear uh, from the Word, and I remind you that all of this that we do here is an act of worship. So whether it is gathering together in these seats which there is nobody in these seats, or whether it's gathering together with your family in the living room, uh, maybe sitting out on your back deck, whatever it is, this is an act of worship. And so we would invite you to worship with us this morning. Before we jump into some songs, would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. Uh, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, that your presence continuously dwells among us. We thank you for that gift. God, we pray that in that spirit, as we, uh, as we recognize that spirit and we're open to that spirit, that our response would be a response of worship, a response of praise through song, a response of obedient listening to the scripture, and that everything that we do would be worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Remember your people 
down my rights, lay down my life, I will abandon all of my pride, focus my
to sing about um, God's ways being perfect when everything around seems so incredibly imperfect. It's one of those moments that trust is involved, right? Where we have to trust that his ways are higher and his ways are greater and he is perfect and his love for us is perfect. Um, I got to thinking this morning about how hope rests in dark places, about like the tomb of Jesus that was dark for three days before the light came or about a womb that's growing life in darkness before the light comes and even to the song that we're about to sing 
that talks about the sea being split and the people walking through and how dark and scary it must have felt on that trek through the sea. But the light was on the other side. And I don't know, it just seems like the world needs a lot of hope right now. You feel me on that, church? Um, I think there's a lot to be said for us joining together as a body. And that, as Josh has alluded to, doesn't have to mean right here in the building. There's only like 10 of us here. But here's what Ephesians says about us being gathered as a body. Okay, this is chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. Like, we house the Spirit that takes that hope and that light into the world, church. And we might disagree on so many things, but we have to be unified or the world that is hurting and dying is not going to see the light. And, uh, whew, I don't know. I think that starts with not being afraid, resting in the hope that Jesus offers us and knowing that we are his children. Um, this is our song, church. This is our song. I want to encourage you. This gets to the part where we sing woes, whoa, whoa, you know? And it might seem weird to you because we historically have not been kind of that kind of church. But I want to encourage you. You're at home. You're with your family members. Step outside of your comfort zone and sing these woes so that when we come back together, we can be more united than ever before. And sing these woes together as a people of God that are declaring our freedom and our love and our hope that we have in him. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemy. Till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer.
day taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort through Jesus Christ your Son our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit one God forever and ever. Amen. Well good morning. As we're sitting here today and thinking about what it's going to look like when we come back, I feel like this week I've been spending some time reflecting on the things that I have missed the most about being upstairs and being with our kids. And um, I was listening to a uh, an online webinar, and they were talking about sometimes the best way forward is to is to think back and kind of lament some of those things that we have missed out on. And um, can I tell you, one of the times that I have missed the most is um, the times where we have prayer time together upstairs where I ask the kids to share with me what's on their heart. Who, who do they know that, that needs prayer? Who do they want to pray for? And that is always such a sweet time because as they share, I get a glimpse into, into their hearts, into the people that they love, the people that they care about, the people that they want to talk to God about and they know and trust that God can, can help them. And I love, I love being part of a church. I love being privileged to also lead your children in that, in that idea that sometimes the best, the only way that we can help people, the people we love the most, is, is to pray for them. When we have our Zoom calls together, I even still try to encourage the kids, let's talk about our prayer requests. Let's pray together because I think that that's such an important thing to share together. So I want to give you just a second as you're here and watching with your family, I'm going to give you just a second to maybe share something that's on your heart, something that you um, are praying about right now, someone that you know um, that you would like the people around you to be praying for. So I'm going to give you just a second to, to share that. All right, and I hope you guys will take time, maybe after the service, to pray together. Um, so in the past few weeks, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've gotten maybe a few more of these than normal. These letters in the mail, these cards, these texts, reminding me that there are people that are thinking about me and that have missed me. And I've tried to send out a bunch of these too, because sometimes this is maybe our best way to communicate with each other. We can send a letter, we can send a note, we can send a card. Um, even a couple of kids have tried to add me on Kids Messenger, and I'll be honest, I'm horrible at that. I sometimes just forget to respond. And that can leave the person that tried to get a hold of me, the person that tried to communicate with me, kind of hanging and wondering, well, did I, did I get their message? Did I know that they care about me? Do I care about them in return? I didn't reciprocate that very well. So, um, and also there's some limitations to this. If I send a letter, I've got to wait for it to come for a reply. Or sometimes I try to call someone and they don't pick up. I send them a text and it looks like it's been read and read and read and hours go by and I'm just like, I don't. 
these types of communications, they have limits. There's a limit to how much care and concern I can communicate through a letter, through a text. Um, but today, we are going to talk about another way that we can care and take care of each other, and that's through prayer. God doesn't have any limitations. I never have to worry about running out of stamps when I pray for people that I care about. And sometimes, especially in, in a situation like now, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to help. We don't know what to do to fix it. But um, church, can I just ask you, as we stand in those moments, as we, as we feel the weight of that, when we don't know how to help, let's not be helpless. Let's not say that we have nothing at our disposal. Let, can we join together? Can we pray? Today, Paul's going to share a story about what happened when a group of believers came together and prayed earnestly. And if you don't want to look that word up in the dictionary, I'll help you out. Earnestly means to pray with intensity, with focus. They did not just say one prayer, but they committed themselves to praying over a situation that they felt powerless in, and they got to see God move in some big ways. So church, can I just encourage you, let's pray earnestly. Let's not make it a short, I'll be praying for you, but really let's commit to that. I am praying for you. Well, good morning. Uh, we're, we're now into week 12 of this um, crisis, of this not gathering together. And so the, I've got some good news. Good news is we're going to gather here pretty quickly, I really believe. I've got some bad news. You've already used your excused absences for the year. And so that means if you don't want to be held back a grade, you have to be here the rest of the year. No, we, we, we don't feel that at all. We, we understand life sometimes throws some curveballs. And, and next week, we'll have some instructions out. By the end of this week, we'll have some instructions out as to what to expect when we gather again. Uh, we, we also hope to include some of these instructions in next week's service. And, of course, we're, we're still keeping our eye to, to what's happening to make sure uh, that it's still a safe plan and what we're doing makes sense. If, if you feel unsure at all, and, and this is from your pastor's heart, if, if you feel unsure at all about gathering again, I'd, I'd encourage you and I, I want you to have the freedom to continue to worship at home. Uh, if God is leading you to maybe begin a watch party. Uh, you, you have our blessing uh, to, to do that. We, we want to see your faces in this room again, uh, but, but, but we also trust that God is at work even in this circumstance. And so we want you to, to feel some freedom as we try to, um, to work our way back into gathering, uh, that, that you do so in a safe way. You feel safe, you feel comfortable, and we, we believe God will be glorified in all of this if, if we just are uh, careful in all that we do. I believe God is using this crisis to um, show us something more. And, and this is a phrase I've, I think I've probably used almost every week uh, that we've been uh, meeting like this. And, and, and I promise I won't use it next week. I, th I think I've used it enough. Uh, we've learned that church is not a building or a time, but a people pursuing the mission of God. And so each of you have continued to pursue God's mission. I, I've been blessed uh, not, not just by Dave Eichhorn's shifting of his, his beard and his mustache, but by the way you have pursued and continued to pursue God's mission, even in the midst of quarantine, even in the midst of this crisis. And so we understand, and, and, and I don't think this is a new truth that, that I'm bringing to you. We, we've always understood this. This has been true from the beginning. At the crucifixion, 
when Jesus was crucified, when he died, the veil in the temple was split from the top to the bottom. And this was the, the, play, the, the veil that separated the outside world from the inner holy of holies. And, and, and God was saying, I will not be confined to a building, not that God has ever been confined to a building. And so this, through this series, we've been looking at this concept of go and this ideal of the church is not a building or a time, but a people pursuing the mission of God through the, through the lens of the scripture that both our, our kids are using and we're using in here. We, we talked about the Great Commission, and so th- this is about God's mission. And God's mission is to go and make disciples. God's mission is people. And he's calling us to participate in his mission of bringing people into the kingdom, inviting, including, and training people as they become part of the kingdom. We talked about Pentecost, and actually today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Even though we we had Pentecost scriptures uh, about three weeks ago, today is actually Pentecost Sunday. And, and, And God's mission is accomplished by God's Spirit at work in us and through us. Uh, God fills his people with his spirit and, and they become the temple and they're no longer confined to a static space, a building uh, or, or a time, uh, but, but they are free to move and go and, and demonstrate the glory of God throughout the world. Uh, the book of Acts, in fact, is this dynamic story of God's spirit filling people and moving from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That, that throughout this story, we see God filling people, filling groups of people, filling churches, and these churches continuing to grow and move outside of Jerusalem. We, we looked at Ephesians and the armor of God, and we saw that God's mission is accomplished through God's power. That, that we don't do this in our own strength, but we do this through the strength of God. And then last week, we looked at Philippians, and we talked about contentment or peace. And contentment is not found in our circumstances, but in our God. And so we're going to close out this series with a passage, a story out of Acts that that I believe is fitting. Because I believe this story, in a lot of ways, gives us all of the lessons that we see that we've been talking about as we've moved through this series, Acts chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And I think it's important that we understand in in this passage it says, about this time. What is about this time? You find in Acts 10, 11, there's this great story of, of Gentile believers or Gentile seekers of God coming to Peter and Peter having this conversation with them and, and they're converted and the, the Holy Spirit falls. And, and so there's this beginning of God's mission in full to the Gentiles. That they're beginning to understand the vastness of God's mission. It's eye-opening. God is going to do something beyond their imagination. It's not going to be some local church in Jerusalem. It's not going to be some national church in Israel, but but God is intending his kingdom to come to the entire world. And in the midst of this, intense persecution. 
Now we've all experienced this in, in some way. We've, we've had great news followed by bad news. So, so, sometimes we refer to this as spiritual warfare. And I, and I think there is an element of spiritual warfare in this, that, that sometimes God's plans are thwarted and opposed by spiritual forces. But sometimes it's just the nature of life. There's good and then there's bad. There's this intense persecution, and James is martyred. Now, now this isn't just anybody. This is one of the three in her circle. There, there's Peter, and there's James, and there's John. And, and, and James has been killed, and Peter has been arrested. And they're talking about a public trial. And when they're talking about a public trial, they're not talking about a prison term that Peter is likely to be killed. So, so in this setting, two of the three are facing death. And it leads to this highly significant verse, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I love how Mara defined earnest for us, this, this commitment to prayer and there's a couple things I want us to see as we, we talk about the church praying. The first thing is we need each other. Uh, the, the church is earnestly praying for Peter because he is part of the body. They're experiencing life together. And Peter's imprisonment deeply affected them. It brought them together when they didn't know what else to do. They came together in prayer. You know, we're, we're called to share life together. As believers, as one of the works is the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit is we become the family of God. The, the building, as, as Amy alluded to, we, we are one. There's a connection, this divine, supernatural, extraordinary connection that the Spirit brings to the church. Even though we're not in this building together, we are one. And we're called to share life. When, when one celebrates, we all celebrate. When one hurts, we all hurt. And so you see this in the church. Peter is suffering, and the church is right there suffering with him. The second thing they, that I want you to see is this. Prayer matters. <laughs> they didn't know what else to do. You ever been there? They didn't know what else to do, and so they prayed. They, they prayed that God's will would be done. They prayed for Peter's protection. They prayed for guidance. They prayed for encouragement. You know, it's the same for us. When we don't know what else to do, and probably before we get to that point, we need to pray together. So and Jessica are arranging this week or encouraging us to pray at 11 o'clock every day this week for what's going on. And, and hopefully you've watched the news enough to see what's going on uh, in, during this week. And, and so how, how should we pray? I want you to know that your pastor was deeply appalled by the video. There was no justification for what happened uh, to, to George Lloyd this past week. And so I've been broken all week about that. And we as a body, when we don't know what else to do, should pray for racial reconciliation. So what about these 
riots, Pastor. Can, can, can I be honest enough to tell you I don't understand it? But why would I understand that? See, how would we be if we had this, this fear that our children, how would I react if I had a fear for Wyatt and Dylan and Spencer that something simple could turn tragic just because of the color of their skin? That's not justification for riots. I'm not trying to justify some of this. There, there's some that's taking advantage of this. But, but can we acknowledge that we as white people in Marysville, Ohio, may not fully understand the depth of what's going on here? But even in these riots, prayers need to be lifted because the innocent are being harmed in this as well. I think of the police. And we've got a member of the police force that's part of our body, Adam. Can I say I deeply respect and love and care for Adam. He's a good, good man. And quite frankly, this makes me a little angry because one rogue cop has placed my friend in harm's way. Kayla Green, I heard last night, is part of the National Guard unit that's being called up to protect our city. I'm a little bit angry that evil can cause such unrest in our country. And the evil began with someone wrongly asserting authority over a person of color. I think we need to pray. God, show us your way. A way that's greater than politics, that's greater than agendas. See, the church is not called to be a political party. We're not called to be aligned with one political party. Our king is Jesus. And God's mission includes racial reconciliation. Revelation 7, 9 through 12 says this, I looked again. I saw a huge crowd to huge count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes, all races and languages, and they were standing, dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne of the Lamb and heartily singing, Salvation to our God on His throne. Salvation to the Lamb. Do you see the image? It's a song we learned to sing as kids. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. If Jesus loves like that, we're called to love like that. I've been watching you during COVID-19, and, and I've been proud and encouraged at the sacrifices that you've been willing to make. Uh, but, but as I've thought about the sacrifices that you've been willing to make, it's led me to other thoughts. In my mind, I thought, I'm going to come back to this at some point when we talk about other world problems. Did you realize that 9 million people will die from hunger in the world every year? COVID doesn't even come close to that crisis. Did you realize there will be 3.5 million water-related deaths in the world in, in the coming year? COVID-19 doesn't even come close. To those numbers. 
So the question is, what, what sacrifices would you be willing to make to make a dent in world hunger or water-related deaths? And, and as we're talking about racial reconciliation, what sacrifices are you willing to make to accomplish God's mission of racial reconciliation? You say, well, pastor, I'm not part of the problem. I, I, I'm not racial, you know, I, I, I don't have prejudice, you know, I, I, I'm really not part of the problem. Here's the problem for us. We as the church are called to be part of the solution, not simply resist being a part of the problem. We are called to proactive action. So, Pastor, what, what can I do? I'm going to do something I've never done. While I'm preaching, I'm going to share on Facebook an article. And so you can look at this article. It's called, well, let me come back, A Guide to How You Can Support Marginalized Communities. Some small steps that we can take as fellow believers, as people who believe that God is calling us to racial reconciliation. What are some things we can do? You can look on my Facebook page and it's there for you to see. And then you can pray. It begins with prayer. And I'd encourage you this week, as, as Sue and Jessica sends out the prayer times and the, and the prayer needs that you participate at 11 o'clock every day. Let's get to the rest of the story. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes, clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and then they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Very simply, what do we get from this? God answers prayer. I, I love this story. God answers their prayer. He, he releases Peter from prison, and yet they didn't believe it when it was happening. Even Peter thought at first 
he was dreaming. I guess it tells us God can answer our prayers beyond our dreams and expectations if we bring our request to him. So what's our call? We are in this together, and prayer matters. Let's pray today. Our Heavenly Father, um, we love you. We praise you that you came to us and you saw us, and you didn't judge us based on the color of our skin, upon our culture, upon our past. But Lord, you brought your, your salvation to us all so that we can become part of your kingdom. Your kingdom has some big calls for us, some big expectations. And Lord, as we try to follow your will, what we realize is that oftentimes we'll face opposition. Lord, we can respond by doing nothing, or we could respond by continuing on, even though the way may be hard. Help us, Lord, to find our way in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I realize these are some big challenges today. That This is not an easy call. And in fact, sometimes we don't even know where to start when we talk about the big issues of our day. But the church, our church is called to respond to these big issues. So can I give you some words of Jesus as benediction? It's a short verse, but I love it. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. God bless.